Hello, welcome to Farmgate. I'm Finlow Castain, the chief editor of 8.9 Hectares and founder of the Food and Global Security Network. Trapenna Farmhouse Dairy recently played host to Down to Earth North, a regenerative livestock conference put on by the Royal Association of British Dairy Farmers. And my goodness, what a transformation has taken place on their farm. I'm joined today by Mark and Jenny Lee from Trapenna Farmhouse Dairy, who are going to tell us about what they've achieved and why they've made the transition. Hello, both. Hello. Morning. Jenny, Trapenna is your family farm. What did it look like five or six years ago before you both started on your regenerative journey? We uh, actually moved back to the farm um, in 2012. And yeah, it looked very different then. So we took on a dairy herd of Holstein Friesians. We were milking 220 cows. And in those first few years when we moved back to the farm, we um, were another family coming in. We felt we needed to to push on to try and uh, earn that extra income. So we actually set about um, fully housing the herd. We were pushing the cows to try and get to 10,000 litres per cow. We were buying in feed from sort of all over the world, taking a lot of advice on people on uh, how best to get more income. And we were, yeah, very much driven by yield. We were bringing the feed to the cows. We were three times a day milking. Um, I was actually nearly full-time teaching as well. And we had two young children. So yeah, very different to where we are now. So essentially, you you took on the family farm and in order to, to squeeze more money out of it, really, it, you thought that the solution was to intensify, brought the cows indoor, and you've got high-yielding cows in the first place trying to make sure that they were yielding as much as possible. Now, Mark, it's changed. What does it look like now? Yeah, Finlow, we've we've turned it on its head. It's uh, 180 degrees. So we had a look, actually, at all the different systems uh, when the price crash happened and decided that we'd go to a spring block carving, pasture-fed, organic system. Let's just take a moment because for international listeners, let's just explain what that milk price crash was. So in, uh, I think it was 2015, uh, our cost of production for the milk was sitting at around about 28 pence a litre. Uh, and we were getting about 28 pence a litre uh, in about 2014, maybe slightly less, but with subsidy, it was making making it just about profitable. By the middle of 2015, we were getting uh, 16 pence a litre. So it was it was. Quite Costing us 28 pence a litre to produce. We were getting 16 pence a litre from our processor and it didn't take us too long to realise that this wasn't going to be a, a model that was worth pursuing. It's worth just dwelling on that drop. I mean, my maths isn't brilliant off the top of my head, but it's something like a 40% drop in your income. I mean, that, that's got to hurt. It, it, was a, it was a huge shock. And uh, coupled with the fact that we felt trapped in a system where we were having to buy in all of our inputs. And those inputs certainly didn't drop by that much. So it's the same old story with farmers taking the price hit, but not being given a, a relief anywhere else. So we split the farm up. It's a it's a circular farm. It's it's ring fenced. When when we took the farm on in 2012, there was large silage fields. the The farm buildings were were centrally located, and we'd we'd cut the fields basically and bring bring the grass into the cows, uh, along with all the other feeds uh, that Jen mentioned from 
around the world, the soya, the wheat, um, the megalac, everything else. We split those big silage fields up into 42 grazing paddocks, uh, initially with single strand uh, electric fence, but latterly uh, we've planted uh, hedgerows and split the fields into seven acre paddocks. And we now graze those on a rotational grazing system where the cows will be in a paddock for 24 hours. And then the average time of rest between grazing again is is 40 days. And we, we graze the cows for 300 days of the year. Uh, and it's just in the uh, in the winter time when the cows are heavily pregnant that the cows are dried off and they're in the sheds. But we're working on that. We're looking at how we can how we can improve this further. Uh, we've planted 40 acres of wooded pasture on the farm, um, and we're trying to increase our tree cover because we believe that's a great way that the cows can be sustained outdoors through through the, the worst part of the winter. And again, just for people, even people in the UK, let alone around the world who are listening, you know, Cumbria is a fairly wet place. So being able to keep your cows outside for 10 months of the year is quite remarkable just in itself. And it's worth also mentioning that you, um, that you sold off that original herd and then bought in different a different breed that was better able to cope with the conditions that you were working towards yeah so yeah it was a, a big decision uh, for the farm to that was you know the first big decision that we made was to sell off this herd that had been bred by yeah sort of my my dad and the herdsman um, but it was a, a family decision that was made and yeah we were advised uh, when we looked at the new systems the grazing system that the best thing to do would be to yeah to to sell them off and start again with a breed that were more suited to what we wanted to achieve. So yeah, we have a, a sort of a hybrid uh, cow, so a Jersey Frisian cross, and then we've bred in some Norwegian red. So they're a really hardy, small cow that, that can stand up to being to being out year round and really good at, at converting the grass that we have to a, a nutrient-rich milk. Now, Jenny, I just, I wonder what made you, I mean, Mark's talked about the way in which, you know, the milk price crash came along, but it, it must have been more than that. What made you want to make this transition to regenerative dairy in the first place? Yeah, I think moving back to the family farm, there was you know lots of decisions to get us there. We we were looking before coming back. We were actually moving around a lot with the army, and we were looking for you know somewhere we wanted to bring our our, our girls up. And this opportunity came up, and. I had great memories of obviously growing up on a, a family farm and thought, yeah, that this is a future that I want for our children. But in those first few years when we moved back, it was a very different system to the system that I'd farmed as a child and that my you know parents and grandparents had farmed. It had just it had become more intensive so there was there was that so every day you know i was going off to school i was coming home we were doing the evening shift milking and they're just it, it wasn't fun really <laughs> Firstly, we weren't making any money. Secondly, I thought actually this this is not the life that I was I was planning on, and we just felt totally tied and you know into that system. So yeah, we did hit a real low point, and we thought what what have we done? So that kind of pushed us. And all that time, I just kept thinking these cows need to be outside, and yeah, that was kind of the trigger that made us look at, at lots of other systems. I mean, it has all just evolved from I guess that that one 
big decision that we made and yes very different from where we were then but not so very different to where you know my dad was and my granddad was each decision that we've made almost was sort of before we'd even heard of regenerative farming it was grazing then we made the big decision to become organic and that was kind of the change in our mindset and then from then on this whole regenerative world has kind of opened up to us and reading you know going to conferences meeting other farmers there just seems to be this huge movement that has just happened to have coincided with you know the decisions that we've made on our farm a lot of it the cows have told us like when we've got these new cows they fed they wanted to eat very differently to the Holsteins that we had they were looking for diversity in the sward by taking the pressure off I feel that they've been able to sort of express that um, we you know we observe what they want to eat and we have time we we sort of farm with the seasons we carve them in the springtime it follows the growth of the grass curve yeah it's kind of it feels it just feels right it feels more natural <laughs> now Mark in the past the farm was producing milk and you were selling liquid milk things have changed now you're selling a whole range of different products could you just quickly run us through those uh, and also tell us about the uh, the economic change in terms of the number of families that you're supporting now through the farm. When we moved to the farm, we had a herdsman employed uh, who's still with us, which is a really positive thing in itself. And we had a, a, a guy that helped us drive tractors. Um, so that was that was sort of two, two guys employed. Um, through this system change, we have diversified our businesses as well. We converted the, one of the storage barns into a wedding venue. Then in 2017, when we decided that we'd go organic, uh, we couldn't get a milk processor to pick up our milk. So we decided we wanted to add value to our milk by uh, making a product. And the thing that we loved most was uh, was cheese. So we started making cheese uh, opposite the farmhouse in the in the old uh, hayloft. So we we produced cheese. More recently, we've uh, we've set up a joint venture uh, with Matthew Stockwell from Keswick, and we're producing gelato on the farm with the the Three Hills Gelato Company. So in in total, with those those diversifications plus the farm, where we we support uh, an apprentice. Uh, and and some casual labour. We we probably support about sixteen people on the on the farm as opposed to as opposed to two in the past. And you know I think the key word to all of this is diversity. I, I you know there's a diversity in production. There's a diversity in systems. There's a diversity in the sward, and that's something that sort of re- resonates right the way through everything we've done. And Jen mentioned it before. The cows are looking for diversity. We're looking for diversity as well. Diversity of people working here and. You know, the farm is a farm 100 years ago or even even in 1954 when Jen's granddad bought the farm. The farm would have been alive with people and families. When we moved back, there, were, there was just us and now it's buzzing again. And now there's there's three different businesses and, and the, the farm is full of people. I think it's remarkable, well isn't it? That, you know, a lot of people, when they think of, uh, of a farm changing from something which is, you know, a more industrial model, a more intensive model to something which is more regenerative, there's an assumption that the economic opportunity somehow reduces. But you're talking there where you've got two different families that are supported by the employment um, in the farm as it was a few years ago. And now you've got 16 different people employed 
unemployed. One or two more if you count in, uh, you know, some of the extra casuals. So that's that's an awful lot of families. That economic benefit in the area is enormous. And and I love the way that you talk about the way in which uh, you couldn't get anybody to come and come and collect the milk. And so you, but but out of that adversity, you've created opportunity. So Mark, your cattle breed has changed. Your herd management has changed. Your market has changed. Your production levels, I imagine, have changed. Has anything stayed the same? <laughs> well, Jenny and I, I think, uh, are fairly, fairly similar. But, um, you know, it's still the same people. Jen's, Jen's mum and dad still farm in partnership with us. Tom, the herdsman, has been a constant. Tom Brown, you know, he, he was here when he was 21 years old. He's seen the changes right the way through. So the, the people that have worked the land and worked it, uh, we've all made the same decisions. I think the the thing that's changed, one of the, the main thing that's changed, I know we're talking about constants, but the main thing that's changed in all of us is our mindset mindset change has helped as the people have pretty much remained the same which is a fantastic sort of uh, success to talk about if i'm looking at it that they would be the main the main point so the, the people are still here the mindset's changed so when we're thinking about that mindset change mindset change is about uh, changing your whole approach to something but it's also being able to be so embedded in that, that and that your belief is there even when additional adversity comes and when you first made that transition your milk production did take a nosedive. I mean, it was a 40% reduction. So, you know, thinking about your mindset, how did you weather that in terms of your commitment to what you were trying to do in terms of how did you manage it financially and emotionally? Yeah, financially, it was a big hit. So sort of the year that we decided to stop putting any fertilizer on our fields we also had 11 week drought there was no rain so it was not the greatest start and that did take yeah a lot but by then we had we had had that mindset change and we were fully we were all in there was no way we were, were going back so there is that there is that you know you have to believe in what you're doing and we really did believe in what we were doing financially we did have to lean on one of our diversifications uh, that we'd already made on the farm we had a, a quite a successful wedding venue already sort of set up here so we had to lean on that a bit through those yeah through that first year I think having that belief in what you're doing there was no going back <laughs> I just want to go back to that uh, issue that we were talking about around making the transition to regenerative and, and what kind of, you know, spurred you on. And I remember a story that you told me about a fertilizer spreader. So our system changed and the way we fed the cows obviously changed. So we had to think about instead of having the cow's trough in the shed, we had to think about the cow's trough being the field. And so our initial reaction being a high input herd having lots and lots of farm advisors selling us things was to employ an agronomist to help us make those fields better in our view so that the cows would have better feed but what we hadn't really appreciated well we had but you know we hadn't admitted to ourselves was uh, a lot of agronomists make their money from selling chemicals um, so when the opportunity came up to spray a field off with some weeds and in inverted commas, we got our old sprayer out, filled it with Roundup and, and sprayed the field. Now, our sprayer nozzles were blocked 
and we striped the field and Jen and I were milking about a month later. We put the cows into the paddock that we'd, we'd sprayed off and the cows were, were grazing in straight lines. They were, they were grazing in perfectly straight lines, then walking over 11 metres of lush grass and grazing in straight lines again. And we'd realised they were automatically going to the areas that hadn't had the roundup on. Now, Jen had mentioned it before, the cows sort of led us by the nose, as it were, uh, into a lot of these decisions. And this was the key one that sort of stood out to us that made us think, well, if we're putting that on the field uh, and the cows are telling us they don't want that, then what is it actually doing? And that's what made us start reading and start reading around the subject. And we read a lot of the old classics and we read a lot of new papers that came out, watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos, listened to loads of podcasts and just immersed ourselves in soil health. And that 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 was the the sort of, we call it a light bulb moment, but that was a light bulb moment for us to say, right, no more, we're not doing this. And that properly made us think morally this is not what we should be doing uh, to our soil and i think that's one of the key points about when you know it was financially very difficult and challenging uh, through those first two three years but it would have been easy to throw a bag of nitro on the field and just and just crack on the way we were but um because we believed in it because we understood i think we understood to some extent the the science and the and the understanding of soil health we knew that would be bad for the soil that was the key moment really for us fantastic now you talk there about being led by the herd and jen's mentioned that as well you sort of being told what to do by the cows so jenny just tell me about the herd how have the health and welfare outcomes changed on your farm do you think so, yeah, we see a lot less of our vets now. <laughs> so, I mean, that, I think that says a lot. Uh, we see them when they come and disbud our young calves. We, yeah, we put them all to sleep and have that done. And when they come and TB test and that's, that's you know, really the only times we see them now. So we perhaps they're, they're a young herd still. Uh, we did buy them all in as sort of in calf heifers and young cows. But that just generally sort of feet problems are not an issue. They're a smaller, hardier, you know, hybrid cow. And I think just not putting the pressure on them. They've got time. So, you know, they they do give less milk, but what they give us is higher in butter fats and proteins. We allow them, you know, time to wander in from the fields. We're not putting as much pressure on them. So I think that has in itself, you know, improved, improved their health and welfare and our health and welfare I think just taking a lot of pressure out of the system so yeah we spring block carve I think um, in the old system we were carving year round and I think sort of looking after calves was always end of the milking job to do here we focus on the carving for two months of the year uh, we're fully on it and the cows can get straight out to grass at that time of year yeah, they're a much, we feel a much healthier, a healthier place now. Jenny, you talked about taking pressure out of the system. And earlier on, we were talking about the way in which the, the cows were coming in for three times a day milking, that you were trying to increase the literage to 10,000 uh, a year. What, what are you on now? Um, so, yeah, they're averaging four and a half thousand litres, um, which we're really pleased with. So that is off 100 percent pasture. We don't buy in any any grains, anything. They don't have any concentrates anymore. It is just grass. <laughs> all in all, it's yeah a, a much better system for us. They yeah, they, it doesn't take as long to milk them. They're, but they're giving us really high butter fats and proteins, uh, which really benefits our 
our cheese making. And how many times a day milking? Twice a day. We are sort of thinking about potentially going to once a day in the next few years, but it's it's nice and manageable at the moment at twice a day. And I think you're doing some cow with calf as well. So we have trialed some calf with cow and we we've run we've done a trial with a Harper Adams PhD student um and we kept a few nanny cows so perhaps are you know cows that were happy to nanny on uh foster on other calves so we've done that for a couple of years and it's something that we yeah really want to pursue the calves that are nannied onto cows do really well and yeah uh, their growth rates are much improved so it's something that we, yeah we're definitely going to keep going with mark you told me that when you first decided to go 100 percent pasture fed other farmers in the area other dairy farmers thought you were mad why did they think that and in the face of all that opposition what made you push on regardless <laughs> well, i don't know whether that was the only reason they thought we were mad the the industry built up around farming is set to sell to a farmer um and so for for that industry or those multiple industries to to thrive they need the farms to buy off them so when we suggested we were going to go 100% pasture fed there was a lot of comments telling us that we would lose fertility we'd lose energy in the cow we would lose protein in the milk we'd lose body condition and these were all directed to us not not just from feed reps but from fellow farmers as well um what actually happened and it was a good year when we decided to to switch was um protein levels in the milk went up fertility was up two percent body condition was fantastic and the reason we did it was because we read and we read and we researched and we spoke to other farmers that were doing it i remember speaking to four farmers down it, most of them are in the south of the country um and we've we've met up with a few more of them recently at down to earth but i think the key is to speak to people actually doing the job and understand why they're doing it how they're doing it and that really helped us and gave us confidence to push on that would be that would be my or our suggestion is is speak to other people that are doing it and try and work out whether that's going to fit your system so you had a whole bunch of people telling you that it wasn't going to work you know, it sounds like you had agronomists feed reps other farmers uh, vets uh, and so there must be something in your character that that must be a bit bloody minded that's saying i'm, I'm i can do this i'm going to do this i'm going to make sure this works yeah there, there is there's determination isn't there jen i think there, there, there certainly is determination um and yeah we were i mean i i, I feel that it, when you do the reading it's almost obvious you know fertility pastures written in 1952 it, it's obvious that it worked and why wouldn't it work now yeah i think we were just so passionate about we wanted this this the small family farm to to survive and yeah to us it just absolutely made sense everything that we were reading so yeah i think that that gave us the determination to keep going and you talk there about survival but of course your farm hasn't just survived it's thrived it's become a powerhouse really in the region uh, you know employing more people producing more food um, and those diversifications that you've 
talked about. Now, Mark, I'm interested in your farm as a business. You're no longer just producing milk. As you said, you're developing an array of award-winning Cumbrian organic cheeses, and you've got this really successful wedding venue. Comparing where you were to where you are now, if you hadn't diversified, would you still have been able to make a profit? And I, I know that you've said that, um, that the wedding venue was essential for the transition. And so I wonder if we can separate those things out. Would you have been able to make the transition without that diversification and where you are now do you still need those things or are they nice to haves i think we we budgeted when the price crash happened we budgeted about six different systems um, and we looked at various options i think the benefit of having the farm diversification of the wedding venue allowed us to move things along very very quickly uh, you know, we could change the system that year. We could cash flow ourselves. You can do it. And I think if we were to do it now, having done it before, we would have taken maybe four or five years to transition because we wouldn't have gone in overnight, stopped putting everything on and uh, without improving the pastures first, because you'll see that 40% drop. We would improve the pastures first. We would reduce inputs over the time and i think that would allow a farm or that would have allowed our farm to transition into this system a lot more sensibly i think in terms of would we have been able to make a profit there's plenty of really good dairy farmers in cumbria making a profit from other systems but the key for us was it was going to take us an enormous amount of capital investment in buildings in concrete probably in robots in more genetics of the Holstein cow, you know, so year on year profit would have probably been eaten up by interest payments. So I think we would have been able to keep going. And, you know, we don't decry anybody that has made that choice because we were faced with that stark choice. The reason we wanted to make this choice and, and pursue this system is because we were concerned about the health of our soils and our farm. You talk about there the way that just staying on the treadmill, if you'd stayed in that kind of original system that you expected to be in, that would have required investment, serious investment in a whole range of different things you mentioned there from concrete to genetics. And the system that you have now, clearly that's required some capital investment as well um, to, you know, to get venues up to scratch and, uh, and, and to make sure that you're able to market the cheese. But that investment must be much smaller. And I'm interested as well in the way that you talk about those six different systems. It's almost as though you had six different business plans. And this isn't something that you've gone into just on a whim. It's something that you've really clearly thought about as a business. And that's why you've been able to succeed. We read um, and, and spoke to some interesting guys um, and girls before we, we started. And Again, I keep, we keep coming back to diversity. There needs to be a diversity of income streams into a business. And we were quite interested in not just utilising our own money in improving our businesses and, and diversifying. We uh, we use government-backed schemes like the Seed Enterprise Initiative Scheme to bring investment money in from outside to invest in the capital to set up the cheese company. Um, and, and, and ideas like that uh, where... You're bringing you're using other people's money to help you improve is a real mindset change as well. When we put the wooded pasture in, it was a collaboration between ourselves, the Cumbria Woodland uh, Coastal Community Forest, and United Utilities, which is a massive corporate body who are providing money 
for various works they've done in the area um, where they've they've put a big pipeline close to here so they're, they're here to plant more trees trying to get these um, these extra sources of income into farming is uh, into our farm is really important to our model so diversity it's a word that keeps coming up when we talk about regenerative agriculture with farmers you know wherever they are in the world and you're talking about the need for diversity and in income streams uh, that that sort of resilience in terms of your own thinking but diversity also in the sward and the ecology of the farm now Jenny you've hosted Down to Earth North recently the Regenerative Livestock Conference run by the Royal Association of British Dairy Farmers what did other farmers make of you at that event do you think that you'll have genuinely inspired some of them to make that transition to regenerative dairy I can't speak for the other farmers, but I would absolutely hope so. The turnout that we got was was amazing. So we when when we were approached by RABDF to host Down to Earth, we really jumped at the chance and we we feel so passionate about what we do and how we farm here that we we wanted to, you know, open up the discussion, let other people come and see. So yeah, there was an amazing turnout. Um we had some brilliant conversations with people who were traveled the length and breadth of the country because they were so passionate about seeing what we did and uh seeing a different system so yeah there were a whole amazing lineup of speakers lots of people talking about soils about how to manage your pasture how to improve your soils and your grass looking at our wood pasture looking at plans that we have for uh coppicing and charcoal burning uh in our existing woodland so yeah some amazing conversations had and i genuinely feel like there is you know a movement that's happening and yeah really positive discussions going on so yeah it was really good to see lots of people there and you talk about mainstream discussions going on i mean just the fact that uh, you know mainstream organisations like rabdf uh, are running regenerative conferences i mean last year it was one this year they've done one in the south and one in the north which just shows the incredible interest from other farmers uh, and when they have systems like your own that have been so successful that must be you know really fantastic to be able to showcase that now something that worries me when i hear it is when i go to a farming event and there are farm- farmers you know on regen farming panels who kind of say well regen can be anything can't it and, and i wonder what you think can it can regen be anything how do you define regen for yourselves so for us on our farm i think we feel like it's all about improving improving what we have improving our soil improving the health of our animals leaving our farm in a better position than it than it was in so it is about building soils it's about managing livestock to do that it's about yeah grazing rotationally bringing diversity in and i feel that any farm that can just make a start on that journey like we did making those big decisions is good um but i think yeah for us it has to be about not damaging what you have so for us it's about not putting putting chemicals and fertilizers onto the soil uh not damaging the waterways uh that are then going somewhere else for us we are you know really passionate about that and 
about yeah just leaving the farm in a in a better place mark i'm going to come to you yeah. with the same question really um and you know there is this sense and i think it's right that any farmer can take a step on the regenerative journey it doesn't matter how intensive they are there are things that they can do uh, not just to be sustainable but to make their farms you know more genuinely um regenerative but that's different from saying well regen can be anything can't it and and i do hear that occasionally and i wonder you know for you as a regenerative producer where clearly that's part of your your brand it's part of the way that you sell what you do are you concerned about uh, the way in which greenwash may be allowed to get into uh, conversations about regen and customers may come to uh, to trust the word less yeah there's always there's always a big threat of greenwashing and um, i don't think it's fair to say regen can mean whatever you want it to mean that's not right and i don't know whether the farmers that are saying it are actually saying that what we believe is that regenerative farming is uh, improving, like Jen says. You can be a sustainable farm, so you can maintain the level that your farm is, so you can maintain the health of the soil. But you're not truly regenerative until you're growing it. You're not improving the soil. You, you improve soil with system change. So when we're mob grazing with cattle on the land and then giving that land a long rest that is improving the soil it's growing the soil it's locking the carbon in it's everything that you say on your ted talk um you know these the there's there's so much information out there use it learn it practice it and it, and use it as a whole system change now there's there's things that people can do to improve and that needs to be done but for us to move forward and improve as a nation as a climate we need to be improving our soil not just sustaining it i think that's that's a key point for what we believe and yeah whether whether regenerative becomes defined by um, a national body or a government i'm not sure um, but we know what it means, and that's improving basically your soil in a whole system. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Mark, and just ask you a question that we haven't really discussed in the past, which is about security. You're an ex-soldier, you know, you, you travel with the army for a long time. And I wonder what you think about, you know, looking at the future where uh, ecological insecurity is is now almost kind of built into the system. Do you see the way that you farm as a solution because of the way that you're reducing uh, and eliminating that fossil fuel use, you're creating that regeneration. And do you think that we need to see much more of that in order to deliver a combination of food security and national security? Totally agree. I think one thing that we haven't touched on is the ghost acres, the ghost acres of our previous system where, you know, we were farming 350 acres, but actually the amount of acreage it took to feed our cattle was outsourced to Argentina, you know, some some places in Europe, Brazil, and there was thousands of acres being utilised to grow food to feed the cows. Um, this pasture-based system that we're on is is essentially supported by the 350 acres that we farm. And if you expand that, expand that out nationally um, and you reduce the amount of area grown for uh, wheat uh, to feed cows, you change that into a pasture-based system, we totally believe there's enough land area in the UK to sustain the UK to a greater extent than there is at the moment. And that takes mindset change, that takes system change. It will certainly be the case, I believe, in not too distant future that food and food produced internationally will be used to leverage government decisions and be used to leverage, you know, even in the current climate with the Ukraine war, um, you look at the massive wheat fields over there 
that is being used by Russia to put pressure on the international community. So the more that we can produce sustainably, regeneratively on our own land, the more secure we will be. I think we believe anyway, this system uh, is the right system. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. And we certainly believe it produces nutrient dense food. So when we talk often, there's always somebody that challenges us and said, how are you going to feed the world by reducing your output by 40%? And we turn around and say, look, we're not trying to feed the world. We're trying to feed our village. We're trying to feed our family. We're trying to have a healthy business. And if many, many more farms try to feed their village, then I think there you have that food security that you're talking about. So that's about farming in a way which is less dependent on global systems, which are likely to become increasingly insecure in coming years. Thanks so much. That's really interesting. Now, just finally, both of you, I'd like to ask you, you've come so far on your journey. Is there anywhere else to go? Do you have any more plans for the future? Jenny, let me come to you first. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very busy few years and um, I think we've, uh, we're in a really good position now we would love to just sort of consolidate what we're doing but with the farm we are we're really excited about the wood pasture that's going in um and that is something that yeah we're we're speaking to Cumbria Woodland about um taking on more and more so potentially covering the whole farm with with wood pasture uh, which will obviously help us with our grazing cows outside year round so yeah lots of plans for that on the farm really um no more huge uh, builds i don't think we'd like to just uh, consolidate the cheese the gelato the weddings and um yeah we're just we're, we're really enjoying this journey though and yeah sort of the freedom that it's it's given us so yeah So, uh, like Jen says, I mean, as soon as you make a product with your own milk and sell it direct to the public, your whole horizon increases. Your ideas just explode with possibility. And so for us, I think it's about (laughs) restraining some of those ideas sometimes. But there's this real passion for trying to feed the village um, to diversify what we do and how we grow. Let's not just have our fields there to produce milk. You know, we have integrated pigs into our system. We want to integrate vegetables. We want to do the whole system so that we can we can be a 350 acre super hub for food, nutritious, nutrient dense food that can feed our local area. And that is really exciting. What a great place to leave. And that is all we have time for. So thanks so much. It's been fantastic to talk to you both. To find out more about Trapenna Farmhouse Dairy and to get your hands on some of their amazing cheese, you can visit trapennaorganic.co.uk, which is spelled torpenhoworganic.co.uk. I'd like to thank my guests, Mark and Jenny Lee. If you've enjoyed listening, please come back and listen to more. Tell your friends, like us, review us, and share our links. Farmgate is funded by San Calper. It's part of the 8.9 hectares news channel and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for 8.9 HA. I've been Finlow Castain. Bye for now.